guys. Welcome to the James Gang Bible Study. 25 weeks ago, we jumped into the adventure of discovering this book. And all I can say is, the book is alive! <laughs> let's, let's pray and we'll begin. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together. And we pray, Lord, that you would enable us to hear your word for us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. The title of tonight is Conclusion. Really, the book doesn't end. It has an introduction. The first verse of the book introduces the book, James, bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy. And then he launches into just verse after verse of wisdom from heaven. And you go to the end of the book gives this word of wisdom, brother, if any of you wanders from the truth, if someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. That's the end of the book. There's no conclusion. It's a living book. Every time I read this book, it uh, it talks to me. Um, Occasionally I'll do a workshop called uh, Journaling Workshop. I call it a journaling workshop, and uh, we take what's called the SOAP approach, uh, S-O-A-P, uh, how can a young man cleanse his way but by heeding your word. S stands for scripture, O stands for observation, A stands for application, and P stands for prayer. And uh, in this workshop, I give everybody a, a notepad and tell them to read James chapter 3. And if a verse speaks to them, Pray and begin. And they begin by writing S, and then that scripture, word for word, beside the S. And then wait on the Lord and rewrite the verse, which is your observation, in your own words. Write a paraphrase. Write it like a Texan would say it. And then wait on the Lord and then think, how does this apply to me? And then write out your application. And I've seen people get lists. And I've seen this work even for unbelievers. It works. They hear God speak to them through the scriptures. And then when there's a sense that the list is over as to how they're to apply to their personal life, and then P is for prayer, so they write out a prayer in response to what God spoke to them. And James 3 is so clear on the tongue and things like that. I've, one, time, one night I saw a wife weep in repentance to her husband. And James 3 isn't about marriage, but it is about the tongue. And uh, just repenting for her tongue and uh, lack, lack of respect for her husband. And so the book is alive. I really do believe it's alive. It's one of the first books written in the New Testament. Uh, James was martyred around 60-something A.D. in the temple that was destroyed. Just a few days later, he was thrown off the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, at least tradition says that that has happened. And so it ends with um, this commission to turn people who who are wandering from the truth. And I would like to focus on that a little bit. But first of all, I just want to um, give opportunity to Tom Willis, who joined us uh, when Hal taught on partiality and has come every week since then. And there's an amazing parallel to each each lesson with what he was going through in his life. Uh, at, at that during that week, so Tom, come on up and just kind of give us a report of how these lessons have been relevant to where Jason he, to where you've been. First. Yes, Jason. Are there are only five chapters in James. Yes, mm-hmm. only five chapters in James. Thank God. So. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a fast <laughs> So it's uh, thank you, Pastor. Um, yeah, thank God. There's only five chapters. It's um, when I first came. I had not, I'd missed the entire uh, first chapter of James. So I missed those uh, first two deals. But when I came into the second chapter, starting in verse 4, um, it got my, James really got my attention. <clears throat> because in chapter in chapters 2, verse 6, it says, Though you despise the poor, do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats or bring you to court to sue you? So here's here's my testimony, and it starts out. I'll, I'll I'll start it with today. I went and 
sign, picked up the signed official settlement papers of a lawsuit that was brought against me. The Saturday before, James started Wednesday night here last September. And I have lived this whole book all the way through in the lawsuit and in the book through today. And today I drove to Sherman, swapped the originally signatures on the pages, got them, sent it off to my attorney, and the lawsuit is settled, it's done, it's dismissed. They they think they've won because they got what the two things that they wanted was they wanted my three million shares of stock in the company out of eight million shares so they could put it with theirs and have dictatorial control. And the other thing that they told me before they had me served is we're going to crush you and bury you underneath the building. Praise God, that has not happened because it uh, it could have, and it and at times I thought it might have, especially before I uh, the first month I was served and I was going through all these machinations and uh, I came in to sit down one morning with Greg and I said, you know, I just need prayer because I'm lost. I said, I am lost and. He was very compassionate. <clears throat> so, in uh, and having said that, several years ago when I taught on James 5, um, not James 5, James 4, verse uh, no, 2, 6, that's where it was drawn in, yeah, James 4, uh, when I was asked, pastor asked me to teach, <clears throat> and I shared uh, a little of my history of uh, starting a company back in 05, uh, being brought in to run the company because I didn't want, wasn't intending to run it, uh, did a couple of acquisitions, actually took the company public in 2010 during the recession and all that stuff, and that before I got my stock and all that stuff, part of it, part of it I bought out of my own money, and uh, I put $300,000 of cash in the money uh, from the bank, borrowed it, put in the company to help them do the two acquisitions. Um, and it has been a roller coaster ride for me. And then last two weeks ago when we were talking about the rich and uh, that they come to condemn, to kill the just to the point where he can no longer resist them to the point of death. And I got to the point that I I could not afford to go to court. Because in the United States it's not about is it just, it's how much legal system can you afford? And I got to the point of I had zero money to pay for legal system. And so we settled. And uh, those negotiations had actually been going on for five of the six months, but they drug it out so that it would be very costly to me. And and, um, so having said that, it is God's mighty hand has truly put me back into here at Generations Church with a body of believers. And, you know, that's his doing, not mine. And I am joyously glad to be here and joyously glad to be in his service. Because uh, sometimes when you're lost and you're out walking, even though you're saved, even though you think you're doing the right things, you don't know how much you miss what's not around and you don't see anymore. And it uh, and it's just great to be back and and to be amongst real people with real lives that are walking strongly with God and letting Him lead them because it uh, and the the all the people that I've seen teach on the James Gang there's not been a weak one anywhere in their walk with God and their relationship with God. I mean, it shows when they when they talk and they share and how much they love their their Lord. And it uh, so you know, <clears throat> I've never been through anything like this before. I've never been sued before. <laughs> well, divorce, but that didn't count like this. That was a long, 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 long time ago, like three decades ago, and. Uh, it uh, and I'm re- the, the, 
there's many things I'm grateful for. One is that James is only five chapters long because, you know, the Old Testament Proverbs would have been a much longer ride. <laughs> I think I wouldn't have made it. Um, I don't know what God's going to do at this point. We we have prayed, and I still haven't heard from God as to what I'm supposed to do. So I just keep doing what I'm doing, which I think was your lesson on get about doing something, and if it's the wrong direction, he'll turn you, and you'll, you'll finally go in the right direction, no matter whether he talks to you or doesn't talk to you, Steve. <clears throat> and that was very useful that week, because it put me in action to do something that I had not, uh, I was, I was, I didn't have clarity on which to do. And it, uh, so I'm not going to tell you who the name of the company is, I'm not going to tell you who any of the, the people are that are involved, because it's no one's business. God knows. I turned everything over to him, turned the resentment, the losses. I've got the $300,000 of debt, which I've got to go pay off to the bank. And uh don't know how that's going to happen, but God does. And he's the only one that needs to know. It would be nice if he would share that with me, but in his good time and not on whenever that may be. <clears throat> and I'm willing to, to walk in that type of faith to let him tell me. Um, I don't know what else to add to that, Pastor, other than this has really brought me back into God's good. work and His uh, His good. path. That's good. Well, it's been it's been a joy to visit with you at the end of each session, and for you to share how the lesson applied to where you were right then, that week with the the suit, and here we are, the last session. And when when was the thing settled? Today. Today. Wow. That's just <laughs> yeah. This morning at 11 o'clock. Wow. It's amazing. That's great. Great. And welcome to Generations, by the way. That's good. That's good. All right. Um, Bobby Underwood did a masterful job last week teaching these two lessons. There by you should be a sheet with James 5, 19 and 20 on it, the last two verses of James. And uh, I'll just read it and talk a little bit about what, what Bobby said and then, and then share the approach that I'm taking. It's this one here, brother. Right there. Larger print. There we go. <laughs> Somebody could take a picture of that and send it to Hal. That would be awesome. Uh, James ends his book with these words, Brethren or brothers, if anyone among you, that's a brother, wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, Bobby shared these verses with his testimony, did a good job of explaining the verse, and then he gave his testimony where he was the brother that had wandered from the truth. His father was a pastor here in the city, and he, he wandered from the truth. And so he was in the position of being confronted by Christians, people that loved him, people that were his brothers in Christ, and how he would reject them and repel them, and yet how the Lord uh, protected him when he, when like one time he had a car wreck and it was pretty bad, and how the Lord brought him around and captured his heart. And it was through people obeying this verse that caused him to come back. If people hadn't obeyed this, obeyed this verse, who knows where he would have been. Um, a multitude of sins that would have been committed by him eventually was prevented from being committed uh, by him when he was restored to the Lord. So he was the wanderer. All right? So uh, confrontation from the viewpoint of a former wanderer was what his lesson could have been. Tonight I'd like to speak on this same verse on being the confronter. How do we confront and speak the truth in love and not be uh, scared off by people? And I'll give you an example. Um, one night not far from my house, I helped, helped a brother's wife. Um, she was taking her daughter to work in Glenrose and had a flat tire. And this was like 10 o'clock at night. And so when I got there, there was another man there helping her, and uh, we wound up leaving her car there for the night, and I helped it, helped her deal with it in the morning, uh, getting it fixed. And so 
that night the man who was actually the daughter's boss took her on to on to uh where she worked in Glenrose and there was a place for her to stay there and I took the lady home and uh dropped her off and then heading back out there at the entryway to their subdivision was her husband sitting in his truck and I stopped and said tell me what's going on oh I'm just here enjoying listening to music, things like that. I said, well, help me understand. Why didn't you help your wife? Oh, she said she had it covered, blah, blah, blah. I said, man, I don't understand that. This is your wife. This is 10 o'clock at night. This could have been bad. And uh, he said, you're judging me. That I'm not. I'm trying to understand. I'm, I'm confronting an area that could have been a huge problem. You know, you want to protect your family. You know, he tried to repel me. And we have that a lot in our culture. If you uh, try to obey this verse, people will say, you're judging me. Uh, biblically, I think we are called to make judgments where we have authority. Like if you're raising kids, you better be quick to make judgments. If you're a police officer, you better be quick to make judgments. And so the scriptures that say don't judge, I think it's basically saying don't condemn and also saying don't make judgments outside your sphere of authority. And um, so to, to hide behind not judging anyone and using that as a reason not to confront anyone makes the word of God of no effect. This, this verse in the basic Bible says, My brothers, if, any, if one of you has gone out of the way of the true faith and another has made him see his error, be certain that he through whom a sinner has been turned around from the error of his way keeps a soul from death and is a cause of forgiveness for sins without number. The contemporary English version says, My friends, if any followers have wandered away from the truth, you should try to lead them back. If you turn sinners from the wrong way, you will save them from death and many of their sins will be forgiven. Confronting someone is not judging them. I'll tell you what, judging, some, judging someone is, is just leaving them alone. Hopeless case. Well, Writing them off. That's judging. Isn't it crazy how things have just gotten all twisted? Um, we're living in a day where people are trying to change a dictionary every day. What is, is, you know, that kind of deal. Uh, the complete Jewish Bible says, My brothers, if one of you wanders from the truth and someone causes him to return... You should know that whoever turns a sinner from his wandering path will save him from death and cover many sins. So there's a there's a time to confront someone. Um, I'll give you a couple other examples. Um, I was on staff at a church in Houston, Texas, and uh, another brother and I were janitors. And it was a church that was a building a little bigger than this one, but they had 25 acres and a 32-space trailer park. So it was just nonstop maintenance work. So I worked with this brother every day. We were good friends. And one night during church, or right after church ended, I had to go upstairs for something. And here's this brother that I worked with every day that I thought I knew him. <clears throat> on the stairwell, on the landing, it was a halfway up stairway, you know where stairways make a turn, on the landing with another man's wife, by themselves, having an intimate conversation. So that night I called him and confronted him. I said, brother, I don't know what's going on or if anything's going on, but, man, that is the appearance of evil. you just got to be careful, you know, please. He told me I didn't know what I was talking about. I needed to mind my own business, needed to shut up and all that. And it wasn't two months. They left in the middle of the night with each other and abandoned their spouses and their kids. So there, there was a case of a brother that's being confronted with what little information I knew because um, I cared about it. Now, how would I have felt if, it, if that had happened and I hadn't confronted him and he ran off? I, I would have thought, I could have prevented it, when meanwhile I tried and didn't. Uh, he wasn't honest with me. Another similar occasion happened where I had less information to go on other than a sense of danger in my heart. When any time I would see, this was at another church, an elder in the church, any time I would see that elder talking to another man's wife, and he was a married man, 
stuff. Anytime I'd see the two of them having a conversation, I would just get, I don't know if my hair would stand up, but I would just feel a sense of alarm. That was a while back, I guess. I understand. <laughs> the hair. <laughs> on my neck. On my neck. <laughs> on my neck. I still got hair on my neck. In fact, I got hair where I don't want it. And I can't have hair where I do want it. So, I go from her, go home from church on a Sunday evening, having just seen this, seen this happen again, and I wrestled with God. I didn't want to do it, Lord. I don't know what's happening. You know, I'd had that previous experience of calling a guy based on something I saw. I said, I don't have nothing but a feeling. And uh, the next morning, I woke up and it was still there. So, I obeyed what I felt the Lord was doing. I just called him and said, Brother, I don't know if this means anything. Uh, hopefully it's meaningless, and if it is, please forgive me. But if it has meaning, I think it's a warning. Anytime I see you talking to, and I gave the woman's name, I don't feel right. It just something's not right. He said, "Who you, who have you talked to?" I said, "No one." Who's talked to you? I said, "No one." He said, "Well, thank you very much for this phone call. Uh, can we pray together?" So we prayed. Hung up. Um, two days later, we're at church for a congregational meeting, and he's up reading a letter of resignation from his eldership. So I told him that Monday morning, that afternoon, he went to see the pastor and confessed. It was a full-blown affair that was going on. And to make a long story short, both marriages were salvaged. And it's hard to believe they both stayed in the church. <laughs> and uh, he went on to serve the Lord, and um, they're both still doing well. So, anyway. So, if you ever feel a sense you need to confront someone, obviously you do it humbly because you could be wrong. And you do it humbly because you could be right. <laughs> you can hurt someone with the truth and remove all hope from them. And they would run out of fear um, of being discovered or whatever. And so maybe if I had been harsh with that second confrontation, he would have run and it would have been destructive. And so you want to always speak the truth in love. And So with that being said, you want to be confronted. You really want to, right? When I'm up preaching, uh, sometimes you just get in that zone of, declaring stuff and things just come to your memory that maybe the Holy Spirit may not be. And uh, I gave a historical fact that in the first service it was not a historical fact. And someone did me a favor by coming to me later saying, I don't think that's the truth. And that afternoon I confirmed with some men that were alive during that historical thing and said, oh, no, that's not true. MacArthur went back to the Philippines several times. And honestly, not to be defensive, I had heard that preached. Wow. MacArthur said, I shall return and never made it back. Well, Christ returned and he's coming back. You know? well, anyway, so um, so in that context, you want to be confronted. If you're wrong, you want to be told about it, right? Uh, you get all prideful and just want to be right all the time. You're not going to fool anybody, and especially yourself. So, but it does take guts. It takes guts. Uh, if any of you wanders from the truth, this isn't just a moral thing. It can be a theological thing. It can be um, a serious thing or something not quite so serious. But uh, we got to understand the gospel was given to us the way God wanted it. And I believe God started the church the way he wants it, and he wants his church the way he started it. And there is a push in the world to get us off this exclusive Jesus thing, to embrace all faiths as a way to heaven. And there's pressure on that. And so we need to be confronted by each other to keep us from being blown by the winds of doctrine that are blowing through the land unless we be led astray. Amen. Paul said that he could become a castaway. He could become useless. So there's a time to be confronted. Um, 
There's even a time when he confronted Peter. If you go to Galatians chapter 2, actually go to Galatians 6, turn that paper over, and here's another verse, and then we'll look at where Paul actually applied this. Galatians 6 verse 1, he says, Brothers or brethren, brethren and sisterin, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, I think this is doing it in a way that's not judgmental. When we are judgmental, we're going to be tempted. I mean, Jesus says not to judge, and then he tells why. Judge not, lest you be judged. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so, there's always a place for mercy in expressing our confrontations. And so seeing a brother overtaken in a trespass, that means uh, either he's blinded to the trespass or he's hooked. Um, he's hooked on that sister or he's hooked on that, that error. Um, and you've got to be willing for people to come and confront you. Notice in our um, text tonight, James three, verse ni- James five, verse nineteen and twenty, uh, the contemporary English version translates it at verse twenty: If you turn sinners from the wrong way, you will save them from death, and many of their sins will be forgiven. I know of two brothers that at one time were members in good standing, members in good standing, serving in areas of responsibility here, that are no longer with us because they would not hear loving confrontations. And in both instances, they were killed. One was on medication and would not stop drinking, and the doctor told me this could kill you. the elders, one by one, the elders as a group would go see this particular guy, and he would just lie up a storm. And uh, one time told us all AA meeting houses have a fifth of scotch hidden in a cabinet in case somebody gets shakes. Just lie to us. I shared that with a real AA old-timer. He began to cuss and said, that's a damn lie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he, he he did not heed our confrontation. He's dead. Another brother, we won't go into detail, but he, he was home alone. He's, he's dead as a result of his, his refusing to heed warnings from people that loved him and cared for him. And so we can save souls from death and cover a multitude of sin if we will do it in a spirit of gentleness, lest you push them over the edge. Now let's look at one place where Paul did this in Galatians chapter 2. Second chapter of this very book. And he's dealing with Peter, bless his heart, Peter's been rebuked by the Lord, and here he's rebuked by Paul. Um, he shared in the first part of the chapter that he was called to the to preach the gospel to the uncircumcised Gentiles, and Peter was called to preach the gospel to the circumcised Jews. And uh, in verse 11, it says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face, because he was to be blamed or because he was in error. For before certain men came from James, which is in Jerusalem, the same James whose letter we wrote, uh, his congregation was predominantly Jewish, and this congregation in Antioch was Gentile, Uh, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, that's the Jews came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were circumcised or those who were Jewish. Suddenly he became kosher. He was being two-faced about it not wanting to be judged. And this was confusing to the Gentile believers. So Paul lovingly confronts him. So if Peter, 
the one that the Catholics call the rock of the church, the first pope, had to be confronted, we have to be confronted. We all do. And uh, if we have to confront where Paul said we should, he did it himself. And so there is a place for loving confrontation when you see error, be it theological, uh, wrong thinking, or uh, error. Now, if a crime is being committed, there's a time to call the law. You know, if a child's being abused, you have to call the child abuse hotline. No longer is that just on the shoulders of the clergy. That's on every citizen's shoulders here in Texas. If you witness something that's inappropriate with a child, you must call the hotline. But what if they reveal my identity? Well, what if they don't? Uh, what if you wind up being a, an obstruction to justice? It's a crime. So... Um, we must do our part in confronting, but there's a, there's a time, when the lines cross, there's a time to bring in the Romans 13 ministers. Uh, if a man wants to beat his wife, I don't fool with confront him anymore. We just call the police. It's out of my hands. He's crossed the line, but the way I believe it. Because I don't want a dead woman on her hands, and then us, you know, it's not about us anyway. It's about people getting help where they need it. So, any questions or comments before I share a couple other stories? Well, Paul's a pretty cool guy. I mean, Peter had seniority. <laughs> he did. I mean, he he did. Jesus. Yeah. And Paul must have been a third of his revelation. Yes. Come along later and reprimand or confront Peter, a friend of Jesus. And yeah. Pretty, pretty bold. Peter must have heeded it. Um, a few weeks ago, we had a state government official here at a minister's meeting, and we hosted it. And, uh, man, everybody, everybody was just thrilled to be able to hear this official speak. And at the end of the meeting, during the fellowship time, Shake was just sitting at a table, Pastor Shake, just quiet. And when everybody left, he uh, approached the man to have a conversation and told him about an area that he disagreed with what he said. It was basically a verse that he had quoted and how he applied it. And uh, he listened to Shake because his approach was gentle. And they had a four-hour-long conversation that was not a debate. It was a conversation. And they are good friends. So I think that illustrates another point that when you walk through something like this, it can strengthen the existing friendship. It can even create a new friendship. It's good stuff, but it's not easy. Has anybody ever had any experience of being confronted in love and being confronted not in love? <laughs> not dare to share, anybody? Anybody dare to share in a loud voice? My, my first year of uh, umpiring baseball, you know, I played all my life, and I, and I thought I knew baseball. Mm. But when you're the umpire, the home plate umpire, especially you're in charge, you you have the final say. There's some rules. There's things that happen, and you wasn't expecting them to happen, and you don't know what to do. Mm. And, the, and the games that we were doing was usually two of us first-year coaches doing a JV or an straight game. And we'd be having a discussion on what to do, and the two coaches would come out. And, of course, most of them have been coaching 20, 30 years, and they know exactly what to do. <laughs> and uh, they confront you. Okay. And uh, I, I would always be honest with them. I'd say, listen, this is my first year. I said, I've studied the rule book, but, but I don't know in this case. And you would make the best judgment that you could on the play by gathering their information and what you thought, but but I knew not to blow up at them yeah. and act like I knew it and then make the wrong call. Well, then they're going to write me in, send me in to the Alliance uh, <laughs> Umpires Association. That I, and, and you have to learn, if you don't know, just admit it. When somebody confronts you about something, getting mad and blowing up doesn't handle anything which when I was younger, I would have done that. But 
it's been a very much a learning experience officiating and, and dealing with getting confronted. Confrontation. And some of it's angry nice. confrontation. And some of it's nice and some of it's not nice. <coughs> anyway, that 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 was That's good. That's a good example. Yeah. Somebody else? I worked with uh when I first started working at PNSF, when you're the new guy, sometimes uh, you know people will take shots at you, you know. And this one and woman in particular, she just didn't like me for whatever reason. And I took it and took it. And a lot of them I felt were just cheap shots, but I. I just, uh, I was the new guy, and I was going to just just take it. Well, one day, she just, I felt she just crossed the line. And I just said, look, I think you're inconsiderate and rude. I've tried to bend over backwards to try and work with you. But I, I just, I've come to a point that you're, you've got to stop. I just want some... You don't have to like me, but please respect my work. I'm trying to do the best I can. And uh, and when I said you're inconsiderate, I think I said rude, too. Mm -hmm. But when I said that, she said, well, I've never been so insulted in my life. <laughs> and she slammed down the phone, and I thought the world is going to end because she had some authority in mm -hmm. some of these groups. Well, much to my surprise, as time went on, she not only became cooperative and and we worked well together, but but we actually became friends. Wow. And I was as stunned by that as as any relationship at work. And and I just I just cuz I had prayed about it. What am, I, what am I going to do with this lady? She's just she's just making life miserable for me. But it turned out um, it just ended up trying to be gentle and, and honest with her. It tended to be a great thing over the long haul. Wow. And see, if you hadn't confronted her, you'd be <laughs> miserable. Until maybe one day you just absolutely exploded. So, yeah, it takes courage, but it's so good. I mean, the fruit of it is so good. If we get a rock in our shoe, what do we do? Take it out. Take it out. Eyelash in our eye, we take it out. But some of this stuff, it's just waiting on a confrontation. It's like she's begging you, please confront me. You know, not realizing it, but, uh, man, that's awesome. Became friends. She must have cooled off and then considered what you said, and yeah, yes. One thing that I found helpful in confronting people is working in the customer service industry. I'm not a stranger to confrontation on a daily basis. Um, it's always helpful to address the actions or the issues, but not the motives. Because mm. people, you don't want when people feel judged. It when they feel like you're you're telling them what their motives for doing what they're doing are. And that's when they feel judged. But if you leave them a way out where you say, well, I feel like you're doing, doing this, I'm not really sure why, but it's having this effect, people are a lot more responsive to your um, confrontation than when you say, you're such a jerk, you always do this, or, or something like that. Or, or even people that Never you know their motives. Like, you know, I used to... Um, run a cafe and we had to deal with shoplifters. And they can get pretty honoring when you confront someone that's about to leave the building with you know, merchandise that they didn't pay for. And you know like food in their belly. <laughs> the defense mechanism is to go on the attack. So around to get way to get around that is like, excuse me ma'am, I'm sure you probably don't realize this, but those items that you have in your basket we we haven't rang you out for. You know, and then they're like, oh, okay. And then instead of turning into an argument, I kind of gave them a way to save face, and they come around and they pay for it. Yeah. And so, you know, just in my experience confronting people, you always deal with the actions that you want to confront and kind of leave it up to them 
to, as far as like what their motives are and stuff like that. Because just by drawing attention to that, you get them thinking about it, and then you usually yeah. get a better response. That's what I've been doing wrong all these years.
and she knew all of that from her background. And then I, and then she went had exploratory surgery, and it turns out they found no, they did not find what they were looking for. And uh, and the night they called her at work, he almost collapsed when the doctor called her and said, "We found a tumor, a, a mass, and it's cancerous, and it was on a vital organ." Almost collapsed, and uh, so anyway, now last week I got a call from the the guy where I work that does the hiring and firing, and she used me as a reference. She's going to come to work there. (laughs) 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 Are you going to? Are you you not going to tell her the no texting rule? No, I'm not aware of that. I don't have any rights. I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at the bottom of the food chain, so oh, okay. anyway, uh, I just thought it was interesting yeah, that even interesting. I confronted her and she didn't accept it. She heard what I said. Yeah, yeah. And when she thought she was fixing to die, she called yeah, me. Yeah. She knew that I, I would I would respond. Yeah. You have to be willing to obey God and let him have the consequences. There are some people who you'll confront, and it will change their life, but they don't want you to ever taste the fruit of it. Mm. Like, get a job! They'll get one, but you'll never see them again. Well, it's fine. Their life life is better. The people they're taking advantage of are freed up from them. You did it for the Lord anyway. Yeah. Bill, you got any input here, bro? Um, Today. 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 Wednesday, I do Dallas is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. They take blood on Monday. The doctor, the dietitian, all me whipping on Wednesday. And for the last six months, for the last six months, I've been doing this. And today I asked him, can you tell by a blood test what percentage that your kidneys are working? And she said, sure. And she said, you're working about 10%. didn't say kidneys. Six months, I thought it was kidneys. But she kept saying kidney. So I had only one kidney that was working at 10%. The other one was completely gone. And uh, she she made herself very clear about that today. I said, well, why am I doing this? Well, I got two kidneys and one at 10%. I did a little research myself. And I don't need dialysis. She says, and two kidneys. She says, I do have two kidneys. She said, no, you have one kidney that's working at 10%. The other one's not working at all. You know, I feel about that tall, you know, when she, when she, when she said that. <coughs> but I've handed, uh, I've handed all, all my problems over to the Lord. Amen. You know, Amen. And uh, I'm sorry I got in on the very last of the James. You know. <laughs> Scott, I don't know where he's at now, but I was going to call him and ask him today what time does it start. Well, I'm sorry, gentlemen, I got in on the last book. That's okay. That's all right. Never too late. I also learned to listen to what my doctors and physicians had to say. All right. <laughs> yes, Steve and Tom. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Most most folks know that. You know, for years I had some snow cone stands here in Granbury. We hired numerous teenagers every year. You know, and so if you think you can run a business like that and not have confrontation, it's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> and every year. Has to fire two or three. Takes at least firing two or three before the rest act right. So, you know, but I don't like confrontation. So try to coach them. You know, here's 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 what we need. And um, inevitably, you talk to someone two or three times. And I've had some very interesting experiences. Usually, if you have to let them go, but I try to do is sit down and talk about their potential. 
you know, you've got a lot going on. You can do well, this, this. But the, but your, but the performance that you're exhibiting right now doesn't qualify for what we need here. So I'm going to have to let you go because we've talked about this. And it's very interesting the number of kids that I have fired that then will start coming around and just hang out. And some of them even come to church here. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and then there's some that have come and had conversations and we go out to lunch and I'll buy them lunch. And, well, why would you do that? I said, you know, I don't think you're a bad person. You just weren't doing the job I needed you to do, you know. And if you ever get in a place where you can do the job, well, I'll give you a job back. And you know, when you have confrontation, sometimes the way you approach it. I had one girl that it was her very last conversation. And, you know, a lot of the kids like to keep the stand like they do their bedrooms. You know, they think they can just throw stuff on the floor and leave stuff on the couch. And I'll say, this place needs to be cleaned. Well, it looks clean to me. And this one girl's dad um, was a retired Air Force general, um, or Air National Guard general, or Reserve General. And I just, I couldn't find anything that was working with it. I mean, she was just, okay, okay, and it just never would... And I and then I used a military term on her in the laughing scene. You know, I don't know if you ever heard this term, attention to detail. Her eyes lit up. I said, "That's what it requires to stay working here." And you know, and I let her know this is our last conversation. And she became the best employee I had all summer. Wow. She just so, needed to know where the boundaries were. <laughs> well, that's a lot of confrontations about yeah. is establishing boundaries. Which some places is clear and easy, and other places in life it's very hard to see that boundary. Yeah, that's good. Good job. It. Uh, I had to confront my dad, my my father, two years ago. He was. Uh, he's been gone. My parents have been divorced for fifty two, fifty three years now, something like that. And it. Uh, and he was. Uh, and he. He reappeared. I had tracked him down back in the 90s and found out and made peace and everything. Uh, we were actually supposed to meet in Tombstone, Arizona at the OK Corral. And by the time I got there, he had already been chased out of town by the local constable because he was living in a, in a covered wagon pulled by four, four burros and had beard down to here looked like a, a mountain man as opposed to this Marine drill sergeant that I had always known growing up as a kid. Uh. And uh, so we met, and yeah, we made peace. Happy was didn't ask him to change his life or anything. And two years ago, he he starts calling, and he calls uh, my daughter, his only grandchild, and starts getting very belligerent on the phone. Uh, you will call me. You will pick it up. Demanding, which is his normal way of being, and. She calls me and she says, who is this guy? <laughs> she hasn't seen or heard him, heard from him since she was two, and she was 31 at the time. And so I call him and track him down and say, look, you can't do that. You know. Well, she needs to pick up the phone and call me back. I said, well, it's her phone. It's her voicemail. Her husband's not liking this very much. And uh, my son-in-law is a really big man. I mean, he could play NFL tackle any day of the week he wanted to. And uh, 6'5", 340 pounds, big time. Commercial welder. Not fat. And, uh, uh, so I call him back, and he goes, but he keeps calling her. She won't return his phone call. Then he calls my brother, and, he, and my brother won't call him back or talk to him under any circumstances. They buried the hatchet and just missed each other by a couple of inches several years back. And he just has no desire to do anything with his dad, so it falls to me. Because now he's calling my mom. And so I call him and say, look, you know, you need to be nicer about this if you want to have a conversation with him. There's no relatedness. You've been gone for 30 years. Yeah. You know? 
you're just the name on the family tree with your granddaughter. She doesn't even, other than you're my dad, that's it. You can't be calling and making these demands. And he just, he goes off. And just like a Roman candle goes off. And I said, yeah, that's not helping any. And and finally, at the very end of it, he says, look, I'm going to tell you this. You and your whole family go to hell. Oh, man. And slams down the phone. I call him. He won't return my phone call. He quit calling my mom. He quit calling my daughter. And so my, my brother called him once, and he says, Dad, are you saved? He says, well, I go to church, and I've read the Bible three times. He says, that's not the question. The question is, is, are you saved? And he says, why don't you go join your brother in hell? Come to the phone. And haven't heard from him at all. My brother's had two or three phone calls from him, but he won't pick up the phone and talk to him now. So sometimes confrontations don't really go the way you want, and there's some consequences that you have to accept from the other side. But they have the right to choose to react the way, even though that's not what you want, no matter how much you love them. They're, well, the, the story the story's not over. No. He just got married. Two months ago. Okay. Oh, man. I found out from my uncle. Yeah. The story's not over, and the seed is in the ground. Yeah. And you can pray. Those are, those confrontations are not easy. They're yeah. they, they not always fun when they occur. Yeah. It's not easy. It's not easy. Well, we've covered the whole spectrum. Let's see if if our callers can bring this home. Hey, brother Hal. Anybody there? Yep, I'm. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, Home, you got any input for us? Well, I'm just. I'm amazed that we've made it all the way through the Book of James. Nobody's died. Nobody's been beat up. Nobody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's excellent. And uh, I'm also very blessed that I don't have any problems in my life. <laughs> 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 you have a, conf- a horse to confront, don't you? <laughs> oh, man, I'm actually out in the barn doing doing chores right now because my lovely spouse is in the other room teaching. So. Oh. Uh, now, did you but, confront yeah. a neighbor one time, and now he's a good neighbor? <laughs> uh yeah. 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 See, it can work. That's awesome. Fortunately, the man is basically a nobody. You know, no one knowing, uh, knows him or anything like that. So it was. It was actually pretty good. Good. Well, well, Greg might know him, but <laughs> <laughs> this is being recorded, so we'll be real careful here. <laughs> That's why I said Greg might know him. Yeah. But uh, no, I mean it's it, it has just been an excellent series. I, I, you know, I I don't know if we can pull this off another time with another book just because the way this has come together, but I would certainly like to give it a try. Yeah, here's the here's the Lord willing plan. Yeah. You know, you know, man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Yeah, so, so the Lord willing, we will not meet again in March. Um, so our children's workers can have a break. Um, so the men's, the men's group and the women's group will take a break as well on Wednesday nights. We'll start meeting again in April. The men's group will start on April 9th. And uh, April has five Wednesdays. So we'll meet four Wednesdays in April, which is 9th, 16th, 23rd, and 30th. And then we'll meet three Wednesdays in May. So the Lord willing, we'll have seven Wednesdays where we will go through the book of Titus. Ah, very good. The assignment will not have subjects. It will just have passages. And so anybody who's part of this group that would like to teach, contact me and let me know. You want to you take a week, I'll send you the schedule, and, and we'll book it up again. But it'll be seven weeks, and then we'll take a break in the summer and do something fun once a month or something. And also in April, the first, the second of April, and every Wednesday until that last week of, of May on Wednesday nights will be a marriage enrichment group that Greg and Marietta will be leading. So we'll have a... Marriage Enrichment Group that starts April 2nd and a men's, and meets every Wednesday through May, and a men's group that starts April uh, April 9th and a women's group that starts April 9th. 
Yeah. Well, I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could tee that up for you. All right. Thank you. You did a good <laughs> job. See, you brought us home. Bless you, Hal. Thank you. Talk to you later, bro. Thank <laughs> you.